The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Can still get a first down inside the two. Rudak looking for six and he's got it. Derek Willies, the freshman. Ten plays covering 69 yards in under three minutes. The extra point from Mick Ellis is good. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. We have our weekly Reporter's Notebook podcast this week featuring Scott Docterman, who looks back at the Hawks' win over Ball State, previews the Iowa-Iowa State Cy-Hawk trophy game, and talks Big Ten. You'll also hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Iowa State's Paul Rhodes. This Hawkeye's Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which includes sports reporter Scott Docterman of the Gazette, and to Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, as well as the Press Box Report from KGYM's Tyler Chumeland. The Iowa Ball State game highlights are courtesy of ESPN2 with announcers Beth Moens and Joey Galloway. We very much appreciate it and thank them. Hawkeyes Mike football programs come to you following every game during the entire season and are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes and remember, the best defense is Prefence. Time now to hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who talks about whether there should be athletic department rules relating to wearing helmets when riding mopeds on the heels of Drew Ott's moped accident earlier this week. We don't, and uh, we encourage it like any parent probably would. Grew up in Pennsylvania. Back in the dark ages, they used to have it as a state law that you had to wear a helmet. That would be a a great help. Uh, I don't know if I'm a real political activist, but maybe it'd be something to consider. Although I'm sure we have reasons why we don't. You know, maybe we should furnish them. That might be a point of discussion, but you know, I mean, there's probably a reason why it's not a law. It's probably an individual's choice, but then I don't know why seatbelts would be a law. It's kind of the same topic, but I would support that, but it's just, it's really hard to mandate that. I guess, I guess we could. Ference talks about getting the running game going this week for the Hawkeyes versus Iowa State after the passing emphasis in the first two games. We're just going to keep working at it. It hasn't been uh, to the point we want, we'd like it to be, and our opponents have had something to do with that too, so you know, we're going to keep working on it, and uh, but the bottom line is we'll try to do whatever it takes to win last week, last year, in last year's game. That's just the way it worked out. Uh, it wasn't a grand scheme or master plan that we had, and just uh, it depends how games unfold. Obviously, Saturday is a whole different set of circumstances for us, and uh, the good news is we did what we had to do to win in that fourth quarter, and so we'll just kind of see how this one unfolds. Good news is that we we probably moved better, uh, certainly in the last couple drives, maybe even the last three than we had in the past, at least recent in history. So that was good to see, and yeah, I think you know. It, it's uh, part of that's so we got an experienced quarterback, and we feel a little bit better about our receivers, our receiver core, as opposed to the last couple of years. So, you know, we've made some progress there, and that's hopefully something we can build on. Kirk discusses the return of linebacker Josie Jewell and his role on the team. He was having a good camp. You know, had a good spring last year, but he's still a young guy. You know, he's uh, hasn't played a snap of uh, major college football. So, just he's been cleared that that means he's, he's going to be able to play effectively. We got to see what he looks like out there, and then uh, at the very least, hopefully, he can help us on special teams. And we're not the deep 
deepest group right now at linebacker. So, you know, hopefully he'll get involved in that mix. And, you know, it's been kind of an experimental thing for us uh, all the way through. And, you know, we're going to keep, keep looking at guys, but we'll, we'll have to see how he looks in practice. Ferentz addresses his team's kicking problems and relates back to the early days of Nate Kading and other former Hawkeyes. Kicking is not my expertise, but uh, but I watch kickers and punters. And, and my experience, just to your point, you know, Nate's first year was up and down a little bit. Jason Baker was not a, a young guy uh, when we got here in 99, but he rode, rode the roller coaster and punted awesome uh, in 2000 and then ended up playing for a long, long time. So, yeah, that's a, a really difficult position to play, I think, kicking and punting, the psychology of it and, and a lot of variables there. So, yeah, my experience has been that you know, guys tend to be up and down a little bit. Donahue was, was rough early. And then, then it'll kick in. And the, and the good thing, you know, we're, we're, that was an obvious uh, uh, issue Saturday. As I said, you know, I felt a lot worse in April because in April didn't see much in practice to make you feel better. But uh, this this past August, uh, both guys have kicked well and did kick well. So, you know, we just have to stay the course and get better at it. Hopefully we'll see better results this weekend. And Coach Ferentz addresses the maligned Iowa State defense coming into this Saturday's game. I think, you know, they're probably like us, uh, trying to figure some things out and improve. To Not to be oversimplistic, but I think if, if you look at their two games, you know, they, they had a lot of transition, new coaches on staff, and, and a lot's been written about that. You know, we can all know firsthand it's 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 a bigger uh, mountain to climb than, than uh, uh, you let on to be sometimes. So I, th- I thought to me the first week it looked like a team in transition a little bit, and then I saw a team last week that played a nationally ranked team basically out of the park, you know, and uh, you know I'm not saying Kansas State was fortunate to win. I'm not saying that at all. They deserved to win, I'm sure, but it was one heck of a football game. So if you compare the two games, it's night and day different. And uh, you know, if you look back a year ago, they started out a little bumpy, and uh, week three they went down to Tulsa, played extremely well, came back and played Texas off their feet, and you know it's so I think that's that's what we're looking at here. Next, we hear from Iowa State head coach Paul Rhodes, who talks about quarterbacks who can make plays with their legs as well as their arms, like his starter Sam Richardson, and the stress that puts on opponents' defenses. One quarterback scramble, it's it's a breakdown, it's an ad lib, and, and you're talking about uh, a lot of space involved with guys back in coverage and routes that have developed and pushed defenders down the field, and, and a quarterback that escapes the pocket or, or, or hits a, a, an escape hatch, as I like to say, he's just he's got room to run and, and, and can eat it up. That's the bulk of, of Sam's yardage on, on the season is, is uh, those types of takeoff runs, and, and you, you aren't defending them. Uh, the second, uh, which uh, a lot of Jake Waters' runs came on, are, are designed quarterback run plays. And the problem with a quarterback run play is you, the offense creates an extra gap. You're, you're defensively, you're designed to, to, to fit a fullback, or if, there, if it's just one back, fit every gap that's available. When they add in the extra blocker and a quarterback running the ball, you're short a guy unless you're committed to playing uh, man coverage and, and, and uh, adding the extra defender that way. And maybe nobody does it better uh, than Kansas State when, when you look at their package and you look at their patience. Uh, at developing the quarterback run game. Rhodes discusses the strength of the Big 12 team's schedules and the high-profile games being played against teams from other Power 5 conferences this weekend. I think certainly it is, and, and uh, we, we, we don't take a back seat to, to, to hardly anybody when it comes to strength of schedule. And uh, you, you say seven Big 12 teams are, are, are playing 
teams from high visibility conferences, then count the, the other nine games that we're playing in league. I mean, that just that's, that's a bold statement about how many games that we play against high visibility opponents. And, and uh, sure, the, the nation's eyes will, will will be on that. Will be on the outcomes, especially on the heels of of uh, uh, you know what happened last week from a one loss standpoint. And there's a lot made of that, and and, and probably too much made of it uh, as far as how one league did against the others and too much could be made on a positive end if we're really successful and again too much could be made on a negative end if we're not we'll we'll go out and, and uh good teams will be playing against good teams and it'll be fun competition and paul rhodes talks about the importance of preparing multiple quarterbacks for the season and the upcoming game you're, you're always preparing to and and you have to have a third ready to finish the game you know worst case scenario uh you, you need a third guy to be able to come in and and uh not run the whole game plan but He's got to be able to finish the game and, and run enough of your offense that, that uh, uh, you can execute with the with the spread offenses and, and, and so much reading taking place. There's a lot of time commitment to that quarterback position and what he has to know for your offense to be successful. But I, in terms of are, are, are you getting any more ready or less ready, uh, you, you've always had to have multiple quarterbacks ready to go regardless of the style of offense or the game plan. Well, we're fortunate. Uh, we, we've got our top two quarterbacks have both started for us, so they both have game experience in the Big 12. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. (laughs) How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer, protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. Makes it a four-point game with a minute to go. They just get lost. He gets lost in coverage. This is a breakdown. Way to recognize it by Rudolph. Sees that he has a hole. No one's running with Doozy. Delivers the pass and Doozy gets it in. This Saturday in Kinnick Stadium features the annual Cyhawk Trophy game. The Iowa Hawkeyes hold that trophy now after last season's win in Ames. It's the first of four trophy games for the Hawkeyes versus Minnesota for Floyd of Rosedale against Wisconsin for the Heartland Trophy and Nebraska in the Heroes game. Kurt Ferentz is in his 19th year as a head coach, his 16th year at Iowa. He's 110-79 and with the Hawks, and a win this Saturday will move Ferentz into the top 10 all-time in Big Ten football. Football. Paul Rhodes is in his sixth year all at Iowa State with a record of 27 and 38. The Hawkeyes are 2-0 coming into this contest, having defeated UNI and Ball State at home. Iowa State is 0-2, losing in Ames to North Dakota State and Kansas State. This game is the 62nd meeting in the series, which Iowa leads all-time 40-21. The Hawks won last year in Ames 27-21, snapping a two-game losing streak to the Cyclones. Iowa's won four of the last six. Iowa State last one in 2012 in Kinnick in a 9-6 contest, but Iowa holds a 23-13 advantage in games played in Iowa City. Incidentally, there will be Big 12 officials for this game. The Hawkeyes have won five straight non-conference games and six of the last seven stretching back into the 2013 season. In the last 15 games, conference and non-conference, the Hawkeyes are 10-5, while Iowa State is only 3-12.
Time now for our weekly Reporter's Notebook show this week with Scott Docterman. You can read Scott's articles in the Gazette and online at gazette.com and in his blog, Doc's Office. You can also follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Docterman. Scott looks back at the Ball State game, previews Iowa State, reports on the Big Ten, and more. Scott, it's Iowa State week, but before we turn to the annual game for the Cy Hawk Trophy, let's look back at Iowa's come-from-behind last couple of minutes victory over Ball State last week. What were your overall impressions there and how surprised were you that it took Iowa that long to score its first touchdown? Oh, I was very surprised. I mean, you look at the way the game unfolded. I know Iowa actually scored a, a touchdown on its second drive and then it got called back, <laughs> you know, which was kind of a wild play in and of itself um, and a wild series when you have C.J. Beathard in there and then he's not in there the rest of the game. I thought the, the play calling was very odd to say the least. I think you look at uh, the fact that in the second quarter in the last two series there were four running plays out of the 21 play series there four running plays two of them were called runs two of them were scrambles and at that juncture in the game it seems to me very odd that Iowa would would completely abandon the run knowing what Iowa is and who Iowa has on the field so I, I found it perplexing throughout the game that Iowa continued to rely upon its passing game to set up the run and the run never <laughs> actually took off so once it got down to the end I, I think it was at least admirable, if not you know, very terrific performance by Jake Rudock uh, to, to lead the team down. And in those last two drives, he was nine of eleven. You know, ran for about thirty yards. He was connecting on, and, and the pass blocking was good. You got open receivers, so the two-minute drill worked to perfection when it really needed to. But to me, the other fifty-four minutes of the game, especially on offense, leaves a lot to be desired and a lot of question marks going forward for this team. Rudock's third game-winning drive that he's engineered late in the fourth quarter or in overtime in his career. His stats over the first two games are eye-popping, literally. He's, his arm's going to fall off if yeah. this keeps up much longer. Yeah, I mean, he's almost like he's at Baylor instead of Iowa, but, uh, you know, they're not going to be able to do this when it comes to October, November, you know, certainly not November. I mean, they're going to have to rely on the running game. So it, it's interesting, you know, you threw, he's throwing, what, Iowa as a whole is thrown 96 times in the first two, uh, two games of the year that's against teams like Northern Iowa and Ball State unless this is a way to say we have to test this and this is why I I don't think it's really a smart thing to do we've heard a lot about wanting to cut down on what Mark Wiseman's carries but you know he only carried the ball six times the other day and he's healthy that says that a that the game plan's not there or b he's just not the player that he once was and I don't know that if it's either one I right now I I think Iowa has to get the running game back on track because as we saw last Last year, the running game was very successful against Iowa State. Heard an interesting conspiracy theory after the game last week, and I think you just said something like that, that this is a deliberate game plan by Davis to sort of flesh out the passing game when they know they can run when they need it when they get later in the season. Do you buy that? or Because it is perplexing what's going on. Yeah. Uh, No, I don't. I I don't buy it. I think that's what he wants to call. I think that's what he's comfortable with. That's what he called it 
Texas, and it didn't work a lot of cases. It worked when he had the players to do it, which if you're at Texas, you should have the players to do that. But when you have guys like, uh, you know, you, you are Iowa. You run the football. You run a zone-blocking scheme. You beat your guy man for man. You attack him. You blow him off the line of scrimmage. And Iowa has not done that with any kind of proficiency yet this year. That's an internal situation. Greg Davis calling the game the way he would at Texas because he does have more talent wide receiver and more versatility and diversity among skill position players does not change the fact of who you are and where you live. In November, you cannot compete that using that style of football. And I, looking at the perplexed face of Kirk Ferentz after the game tells me that he was not in favor of this approach. Relative to the receivers, I think uh, Rudock hit 13 different receivers in game one, 11 last Saturday. Six people touched the ball in terms of rushing and through two games, and I don't have any idea what the over-under on this would have been, yeah. but I wish I would have bet $5 because yeah. I could completely retire. Rudock's the leading rusher. That's unbelievable, and that's something that has to change because of who they have. And You know, I mean, this time last year, we're talking about Wark Wiseman uh, being overused, and he was, and it cost him probably in November where he wasn't as fresh, and he looked kind of like the, the punch-drunk fighter, you know, that after a while, you know, it's, it's more of a dazed look than it is a pained look, and I think that's what cost him. But at this point, they're going to have to go back to it. And Jake Rudock, you know, the scrambles on the last drive are, are fine, but the game plan has to change. Defensively, everyone talked about the struggles, the big plays in game one. Iowa gave up no big plays in this game. Defense played really well, mm-hmm. and Drew Ott had an All-American game. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, you're in Big Ten Player of the Week honors, and, and, it, was tr- and it was true. I mean, the way they played, uh, but th- then again, Belt Ball State fit what Iowa likes to do. They tried to run the ball. They tried to move the ball around. Nothing quick hit, you know, quick tempo. Nothing where they're isolating the linebackers one-on-one. I mean, I think Pete Te- uh, Lembo is a terrific coach, but it kind of surprised me he didn't want to do what you and I did that was so successful. So the real challenge for Iowa to me is this week. Going up against Iowa State, they do have a lot more, they have a lot better skill position players. They have guys who can, they can get them isolated. And Mark Mangino has a history of that. This is a team, though, in Iowa State that still has a lot of growth that it needs. Um, it's it's still developing an offensive system. They're still trying to be cohesive under Sam Richardson. So I'm not sure that they're able to to go ahead and and do this on a on a every down basis. But I think they can exploit some of the Iowa's issues. If and that's that's what I'm anxious to see is the mistakes Iowa made in Game One didn't show up in Game Two because of style of play. They could if they they haven't made any progress, they will show up and on Saturday. Two stats that are very positive for the offense mm-hmm. through the first two games are only one sack and no interceptions. And the sack came when uh, LaShawn Daniels completely whiffed on right. his side rush. But the fact that Rudock can throw as many passes as he's thrown without a single interception, that's also a really spectacular statistic, even though we're only two games in. And you look at where he was a year ago. I believe it was 18 touchdowns and 13 interceptions, I want to say. He made a lot of big mistakes. I mean, we go back to the opener last year against Northern Illinois. He, he played a pretty good game, but then he threw a, you know an interception that ultimately 
ultimately cost him the game. And he did. He had a lot of those. I think Wisconsin was another situation. Uh, Michigan, he threw a pick six. So, you know, he has cut down on his mistakes. He's more proficient. He's hitting the check downs, which uh, depends on your point of view, whether they're good or bad. But, uh, you know, uh, and then, of course, the offensive line being able to keep him upright, except for that one blitz um, off the edge. Um, you can't ask for much more than that. And I think right now, if if Greg Davis, had, if it's a conspiracy, if he's really trying to do all of this stuff, which I don't buy, then it, what it tells me is that he, um, he's he got his answers. Now go back to what Iowa does does well, and, and Iowa traditionally does well. Most fans always say, well, Iowa's a running team, but really under Ference, he's always wanted to have a pretty good balance. You'll see some games with a little plus on the running side, some on the passing, mm-hmm. but certainly skewed through the first two. So let's talk about the Iowa State game. It's been a much more evenly matched series in recent years, even when you look at the respective talents and you don't think the talents are evenly matched. Iowa reclaimed the Cyhawk Trophy by winning last year in Ames. Iowa State had a two-game winning streak before that. Just sort of from a 35,000-foot altitude, yeah. talk about this game, and then we'll dig into some of the some of the details. Well, it's it's interesting. I'm actually doing a series right now, the myths of the Iowa Cyhawk series, and one is that uh, it's Iowa State Super Bowl, and two that it, Iowa doesn't care. I mean, those are the myths. The reality is, it's a big game for both teams. Is it Iowa? State Super Bowl? No, but it's really important. And part of that is because of realignment. Uh, they are now a geographical outlier in the Big 12. They have no con- contiguous states in their in the Big 12 footprint with Iowa State. So uh, obviously it's going to cling to the schools that it's, that it's competed against on a regular basis, including the one across the state. This is an important game for both teams. For First of all, you look at Iowa State, they're 0-2. So if they go 0-3 and Paul Rhodes has never finished with a winning record in the Big 12, that pretty much ends any kind of uh, bowl chances for Iowa State unless they really do something special, which I can't foresee. And for Iowa, it's been a kind of a mixed couple of weeks. Iowa has at times looked very good on offense and times looked very good on defense. You know, it's still growing, but a loss stunts that growth and certainly a perception, which is important in these days. And, and uh, you know, I, and, and the mere fact that this is an in-state rivalry that matters matters to the fan base, it matters to the people involved in the program. It's another BCS or now Power 5 conference opponent. So I think all of those things really matter in the big picture as to whether or not, you know, Iowa goes 3 and 0 to head out to Pittsburgh or 2 and 1 and really questioning itself as to, you know, where what's its identity and where does it go from here. It was interesting to hear what the players, Iowa players had to say at Tuesday's press event. It seemed to me some of the comments were a little more pointed maybe than they have been the last couple of years. Uh, sometimes I think the rivalry has lost its luster with the Iowa fan base. I don't think it's lost its luster with the Iowa State fan base. But it is Iowa's first sellout of the season. And I think, to me, the most interesting thing is going to be what iteration of Iowa's offense is going to make mm-hmm. an appearance Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, this is Iowa's first sellout since 2012 against Purdue. So yeah, their other most hated rival so <laughs> uh, you know and I think first and foremost yes 
Iowa ran the ball 60 times last year against Iowa State. Just, it was a sledgehammer meeting a wall and the drywall collapsed. And I think that's one thing with Iowa that um, it needs to reestablish itself. It, and I and as much of a problem as it was with Mark Wiseman carrying the load, I mean, the first month of the season, nobody carried the ball more than he did. They reestablished their tone. Their, what they want to do as a team, be an intense, a physical football team at the point of attack. It has not done so this year. And it's perplexing as to why is the case. Well, when we saw with Ball State especially, we saw a lot of free flow from the safeties from the third level and then, of course, the linebackers towards the line of scrimmage, whether that was run blitzes by design or they were tipped off, they saw it, they moved on it and attacked. Iowa then went to the passing game almost exclusively, which to me, I I think uh, if they're going to run blitz you, play action. That's the way to go. Not so much spread them out and keep dinking and dunking them, you know, halfway down the field because they didn't obviously get down the field until the end. So what Iowa team shows up offensively, that's a, that's the question of the day. If Iowa shows up the way it's capable of, the way it, it, it wants, what it wants to be, a very balanced team that's able to attack on both fronts, Iowa's the better team and it's not close. But if Iowa continues to stagnate in the run game, gets halfway up the field, and then stalls and punts, as we've seen over the years, when this game gets close and it's in the fourth quarter, it's not in Iowa's advantage. Uh, Iowa State kind of does have that extra advantage, that push, that passion or intensity. Now, that said, as you mentioned, Quentin Alston and among others pretty much denied there was any kind of uh, <laughs> lack of interest or intensity on the Iowa side. That they, I, I actually got him off to the side and I said Iowa has some incredible rivalries spanning three centuries I mean going all the way back to the 1800s against several different teams and you're telling me that they're the most imp- they're the most important one he said yes absolutely that they are and I thought that was a little strange you know Minnesota Wisconsin and what have you so but that that just shows you the importance that Iowa places on this game so if there if it is in the fourth quarter if it is in a close game that maybe that intense edge won't necessarily drift just to Iowa State especially at home for Iowa. And to follow up a bit there, Iowa's biggest issue through the first two games as a whole has clearly been special teams. It's, you know, we talk about the ba- lack of balance in offense, but the defense showed an improvement one game versus two. But special teams, place kicking, kickoffs have been great. Marshall Keane's been great on those. But the ability to uh, even hit chip shot field goals. Mm-hmm. And at some point, if they don't get that fixed, and this could be a game like that, but certainly before the season, over that that's going to come back and really bite this team without a question I mean you know they've missed four out of six field goals all of which are 38 yards or in most of them are inside the hash marks those are automatic anything under in, under 40 yards inside the hash marks barring a major well, weather development should be 90 percent or better and in their case they they are um, failing they're in f minus I mean because last week you look at where Iowa was if Iowa makes those three they're either trailing 13 to 12 okay that's means one drive one score one win let alone the actual mistakes they made that put them in the hole to begin with so what does that mean for the two kickers you know it's a full-blown competition now no one really has the upper leg <laughs> pun intended but but Marshall Kane two out of five he's from Solon he's nearby incredible leg on kickoffs he's shown that but it's not straight <laughs> and you got it you got a true freshman kicker from Texas that you like a lot now it's time to give him a shot 
shot, but he whiffed on a 29-yarder, and it wasn't it wasn't close. It wasn't that he just barely missed it or pulled it or yanked it. I mean, it's like me uh, out at probably in Augusta, you know, with a club in my hand. I'm going one way or the other, but not down the middle. So I think right now they've they've got to get that figured out. They got to settle on it because that will cost them. There is no doubt. I mean, the way Iowa plays football, they play a lot of close games. Field goals tend to make the difference in those games, and if you miss two, that's the difference between winning 16-13 and losing 13-10. And the other issue there with kicking is the punting game. A kid has certainly been, I think you can be generous to describe him as inconsistent. I would describe it as perhaps mediocre at best. Right. I agree. I was going to use that word (laughs) mediocre. I mean, you you start to wonder when you have a guy like Connor Cornbrath, and I'm not saying that he was anything special last year, but but he had potential. He's a bigger person. He's 6'6", 240. He hasn't really developed, but, but Dylan has to get better. I mean, you know, he's 30, he averaged in 36.6 yards per kick. I think that's 77th nationally. You got to get it closer or higher than 40. Otherwise, you're, you know, again, a good, the difference between a good punt and an average punt is a first down for your defense. If you can do that consistently and make your, your opponent drive one more first down per, per possession off a punt, you've done your job. I mean, what defender on the field can you say, I'm automatically, when I put them out there, I make the other opponent go one more first down. Not very many, but right now, Iowa's, and he's had the opportunity with some of his kicks where he's, you know, on his side of the 50, so it's not like he's laying up. You know, he's he's got the ability to kick far, and instead he's, you know, you know he's kicking a 36-yarder or something that's kneeled down at the 21 instead of, you know, hey, if you kick it in the end zone, go for it. Kornblatt's issue last year was he had too many shanks, mm-hmm. and, and I think that really probably hurt him going into this competition and the fact that they went after Kid, but and and in the kid scrimmage, yeah. a couple of weeks before the season began, Kid was booming punts, mm-hmm. a high, lots of hang time, really long. But boy, in the game situation so far, he hasn't done it. It's been perfect weather. Yeah, you know, he yeah. hasn't had to deal with wind. He hasn't had to deal with rain. I mean, it's you know, it shouldn't be an issue. I mean, okay, here's your kind of mulligan days, but they're over. I mean, I guess right now, I mean, maybe this is just my point of view is when it comes to the kicking game and a lot of some of those things, you know, playtime's over. You know, you're entering every single opponent you'll play from here on out as a power conference team. One is a huge rival coming up this week. you got to go on the road to another uh, opponent the following week, and then it's Big Ten play. And you don't have time to mess around to see who might be the best punter in, at what given day. You mentioned a couple of minutes ago the other big thing that has often been critical in this Iowa State series is turnovers. Ball State got 10 of its 13 points off of turnovers, unfortunately both from Jonathan Parker, but it's likely that that will be important in this game again. It always is. And uh, and, and last year, right before the end of the first half, James Morris was able to get a late uh, interception and return it and put him in position for a field goal that really stemmed any kind of momentum Iowa State had. I think they put Iowa maybe, you want to say, 17 to nothing at that point. It it was at least 13 to nothing. It was 13 or 17. So that really pushed Iowa forward and, and you know, uh, well, going back two years ago here, a nine to six game, Iowa had a touchdown called back. Iowa had a dropped touchdown pass at the end zone. And as they were going in for the game, tying field goal or touchdown, winning touchdown, there was a last second interception by Jake Knott on James Vandenberg. So that matters. And, and now Jonathan Parker has arguably had a great spring and a great fall camp. You know, hey, he gave 10 points to, to Ball State in a game that they should have lost, really. Uh, so that's, you know, otherwise, 
guys, you're looking at what an incredible defensive effort Iowa had, giving up only three points, and that was aided by kicking penalty and a few other things. After this break, Scott looks at the Iowa-Iowa State offensive and defensive matchups. He provides his keys to the game, and he talks Big Ten. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the News and Events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. And you can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette, the Hawkeye, and the Quad City Times. Spend just a couple of moments on Iowa's offense versus Iowa State's defense. The key injury, obviously, coming out news early this week is Brandon Sheriff's apparent knee surgery. It doesn't appear to be major, but he's certainly be unlikely to play this yeah. game and, and maybe not the next two. So Butker played pretty well when mm -hmm. he came in at the couple of series that Sheriff was out. So there's that issue there. Then you have this sort of odd underlying mini saga going mm -hmm. on here of everybody asking Kirk at every press opportunity, when will we see C.J. Beathard in mm -hmm. and maybe how much or for how long. So you have that going on and in my mind it's sort of you've got the heady, really heady yeah. quarterback in Jake Rudock right. who's very competent against you know versus C.J. Beathard who's got a rocket for an arm. You know and my, if you want to go with conspiracy theories, here's the biggest one. He, the reason why C.J. Beathard get any playing time at all is because they're afraid he's going to transfer. As a sophomore with a junior ahead of him, if he has to wait two years and with no hope, uh, he'll sit out and go somewhere else. And, and you know, now granted, Iowa's had uh, one situation reminds me of this, and that's Mark Vlasic sitting behind Chuck Long all those years. Mark Vlasic was a pretty good quarterback. You know, he just didn't get the opportunity to show it. And I think they're allowing C.J. Beathard to show it. And his trajectory is higher maybe at the next level than, than Jake Rudock. But after what Rudock did and has done, as you mentioned, 93 passes for him, you know, uh, no interceptions, one sack, able to run the ball. He's the leading rusher. He's able to, to you know, three uh, two-minute drills, essentially. You know, he's, he's able to pull out a 10-point deficit in the last couple of minutes to a victory. You can't change that. That's too good to, to, to give up, especially the way Iowa's played in the last few years. So I think right now, you know, the C.J. Beathard thing to me, it was a neat little experiment. If you have an opportunity to play him, play him. Him, but really, you got to stick with what works, and right now, what works is Jake Rudolph. Looking at Iowa's defense now against Iowa State's offense, you have the Drew Ott moped accident, although it appears likely he'll be ready to go Saturday. It's terrific improvement, as we talked about week one to week two, going against an Iowa State offense that, if you look at it on paper, is almost like a two person offense. It's uh, mm -hmm. Sam Richardson and uh, Jarvis yeah. West. Yeah, I mean, there's. Yeah. It, they, 
all of the offensive stats are those two guys, and Richardson's a kind of quarterback that historically has given Iowa, you know, stressed Iowa's defense because of their ability to run. Yeah, and this is a team, you know, that's had in, in their wins, they've had epic performances. Steel Jantz, it is, you know, the football equivalent, really, of uh, LaFester Rhodes. I mean, the way he played, you know, in 2011 in a triple overtime win for Iowa State. I mean, it was a kind of an epic game in the series. And then you had what Jake Knott was able to do a few years ago. You know, now, kind of like Iowa, but not the same, is that, you know, they, they had a quarterback competition going in, and Sam Richardson's a dual-threat guy, certainly not like a Seneca Wallace or anything, but, he, you know, he's a he can run and he can pass. Mark Mangino was emphatic that he wanted one guy, and he has been left alone on the offensive side of things, whereas Paul Rhodes really got his fingers in the offense in the past. So he's picked Sam Richardson. He seems to have played fairly well. I mean, he's completing 67% of his passes. He's got three interceptions, which won't help you at all, especially in Iowa State. And, uh, you know, their offense, you know, has been spotty, though. I mean, it's kind of strange. You know, the first game, they got dominated. You know, scored only 14 points. And they haven't scored at all in the second half yet this year, which is kind of strange. But you look at passer rating, they're 103rd nationally. Yards, 101st. You know, in total offense, they're 114th nationally. That's kind of unusual for what you have with a Mark Mangino coach team on the offensive side of the ball. They're 111th in scoring, averaging 21 points a game. But it's still early. And they're still getting used to their offense. And, you know, they have, you know, a couple of running backs they like quite a bit. Aaron Wimberly, I mean, he has not played as well as they'd like. But a lot of that's caused by the defenses that have been gearing up for him. So they, they pose a lot of challenges because they have speed and quickness at a variety of different positions. So therefore, when you get Jarvis West, if you can isolate him on a Bo Bauer or a John Loudermilk, that's the situation they want. Somebody who's maybe not as quick laterally as, as Jarvis West. Now, Jarvis West is tiny, but but that doesn't matter if you get the ball in his hands. Well, it hurt them losing Bundridge in that first game, oh, uh, leading receiver from last year. West is also a terrific Terrific threat on special teams returning kickoffs and punts. Yeah, I mean, what a, what a guy he was last week. I mean, you know, uh, threw a pass for a touchdown, threw a, uh, you know, caught a pass for a touchdown, and then, you know, returned a punt for one. And, and yeah, Bundridge last year was amazing at Iowa. He scored all three touchdowns, and, you know, he uh, he looks the part of a big-time wide receiver. Now, Alan Lazard is a guy that uh, is kind of attained legendary status even before he really playing, uh, maybe because he's, you know, really one of the few high-profile picks from the state of Iowa, skill position picks, you know, that's, that starts right away for Iowa State. And Iowa wanted him, too, and that became a talking point near <laughs> recruiting and signing periods. But, you know, I, I'm anxious to see how they can put it all together offensively. They cannot win against Iowa in a phone booth. They're much better spreading them out, isolating them, kind of the way you and I was able to do it. But that said, I want to see Iowa's growth against that. They know what they did wrong against David Johnson. And you and I, a wide receiver, I'll put them side by side with Iowa State's, and I'll say it's an even wash at, at worst for you and I. So, and I would say that sorry, your Cole Morgan is every bit as good or better than Sam Richardson, and certainly David Johnson would be the best running back on the field if he played in Kinnick Stadium on Saturday. So, at this point, let's see what Iowa's growth is. If they're able to avoid those matchups or at least uh, do what they need to do um, to not get beat, uh, and then I like Iowa's chances. 
you mentioned that the Cyclones are scoreless in the second half so far in, in the 2014 season. They haven't even reached the red zone in the first two games in the second half, which is that's kind of a little bit mind-boggling. The other kind of sort of symmetry between the yeah. two teams' offenses is that as is Rudock the leading rusher for the Hawkeyes, Richardson through the first two games is the leading rusher for the Cyclones. It is crazy, isn't it? I mean, the, I, that doesn't surprise me as much with Iowa State because their offense is geared more to that with a lot of zone read, a lot of you know movement by the quarterback. I mean, Rudox is very, very rarely by design. It's more by what he sees on the field when he's dropping back to pass. So I'm fairly confident that's going to change for Iowa. It better, otherwise they're in real trouble. Yeah, Jake did have two really important runs uh, mm-hmm. last week in the fourth quarter to pick up yeah, first downs in both cases. Ran, uh, ran for 30 yards on the last two drives. Also willing to take a big hit to complete a play. So yeah. it's another reason I know Ferentz likes him. He was he did it all last year as well. Right. Iowa State did really rack up a lot of points against Kansas State. Played a pretty impressive game, but in the end, Kansas State came back to win that contest. That might have been a little bit of a trap game for Kansas State, too, in the sense of, you know, looking at Iowa State losing the week before to North Dakota State and then looking ahead. But Iowa fans will get their first chance to see Josie Jewell, probably. Yeah. He's back now, cleared to play in practice. Right, and then that's an important get for Iowa because he'd worked himself into from all the way up from kind of a second team or redshirt freshman special teamer type of guy to co-starter at weak side linebacker and alongside uh, Reggie Spearman and the way he's played he's an he's an integral player in that position I think he'll get on the field quite a bit at linebacker and certainly in special teams which is what Kirk Ferentz said Quentin Alston really touted Josie Jewell's physical abilities that he, he likes to go downhill he was knocking helmets out mouthpieces out that's his style of, of hitting. And and you, then you look at the number 43 and automatically, who do you think of? Pat Anger. You know, and if he can be anything near that, he is going to be one heck of a player in the future for the Hawkeyes. And it did look like the communication issue, which was supposedly the biggest problem between the linebackers and the secondary right. in week one, did have a lot of improvement in week two. So we'll see. So keys to your game, keys to this game, key players in this game. Well, I think first and foremost, what uh, the key for Iowa is to establish a, a consistent running game. Now, the numbers show that Iowa's running at a rate around the four yards a carry. That's a winning number. It's just doing it more often. And so if Iowa can be more consistent, they don't have to run it 60 times like they did last year, but I would say in the neighborhood of 50 is probably a winning number for this team at four yards a clip. That's 200 yards. That's something that Iowa can and should be able to do. Iowa State's defensive line is still depleted. They don't have the players they've had in the past. I mean, and then the offseason, David Irving, who had a heck of a game against Iowa last year, off the team. Rodney Coe, off the team. Those are two starters from last year. Iowa should be able to use that to their advantage. I mean, we're talking about, you know, an Iowa State defense that is, you know, 118th in the nation in yards per play. That should that should ding, 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 ding for Iowa. Conversely, on the opposite side of the ball, containing, allowing the bend but don't break to work. Because Iowa State doesn't have any kind of measured success up and down the field against a good opponent on offense. So if they're able to make Iowa State go up in the field, don't get balls, you know, in chunks. Last year, Quentin Bundridge had a couple of touchdowns that were, you know, longer, you know, because of missed tackles and missed coverages and what have you. And last week, they got a lot of, they got a couple of their scores on trick plays, punt return and uh, and a wide receiver pass. So Iowa, if they contain on the defensive end, don't allow big plays and are able to run the ball effectively, this should be a somewhat convincing win for 
for Iowa. I meant to ask you, even if Iowa moves forward a little bit with running back by committee, who you think should get the most touches? I think Jordan Canzari should get the most touches. He's the quickest guy to the hole. He's got ant strength. He's physical. He's not going to bowl you over like Mark Wiseman, but he's the type of guy that I think at this point you got to put him in and let him go. And maybe LaShawn Daniels will get there too. I mean, he's only a sophomore. But Mark Wiseman, for whatever reason, has not been quite as effective. Damon Bullock's really good in the two-minute drill and, and kind of filling that role, that Preston Pearson role, you know, going way all the way back to the 70s for the Cowboys. But I, I really think right now that Jordan Canzari should get, in my opinion, a minimum of 15 carries in this game, if not more than 20. Yeah, I completely agree. Got an idea for a score? Um, I'm going to keep it close because it's Iowa-Iowa State, and it tends to end up that way. Um, I'm going to go with Iowa 27-24. I'm not sure if that's four touchdowns and a mixed extra point or if there's you know a, a late field goal to that uh, they actually convert you know for the game-winning score. Closing out here today, a, a little bit of Big Ten talk. You and I were visiting briefly before we started this session, and I said, had Iowa and Nebraska not come back in that in their respective last minutes and lost those games. That might have been the worst day in Big Ten football history for the Cowboys. Yeah, and the league has taken such a, a heavy blow from the national media based on what happened Saturday anyway. So then you add those two to the fire and it's like, whoa, Iowa's right now off the grid. You know, they they won, but they didn't, you know, that just kind of, oh yeah, and oh by the way, Iowa. But you look at you know what happened at Michigan. I mean, that is just embarrassing. And you know, and I, I, I don't really regard Michigan states as much of a bad effort. I mean, you went to Oregon and you, you were winning and then 100 degrees and, you know, okay, finally they got you. You know, you'll do the same to them when they come to East Lansing next year. But, uh, you know, the Big Ten needs some good publicity on the football field. And, and really, you know, Iowa shows a lot of, to me that they can be that team. They can grow. Last year, if you remember back after game two, they played Missouri State, and that was lousy at best. They did not play well. They looked like they were back in 2012 form. Then they came out and played very well against Iowa State, and then they seemed to propel them forward going into the into Big Ten play. So I think uh, the league did get some good news with Penn State, being able to now be eligible to play in a bowl and maybe possibly compete in the Big Ten championship. I don't think they're there yet. but Just a fight or not right <laughs> yeah we'll see if they get there but uh, you know but, but regardless you know the uh, Iowa Nebraska I think have the most upside in the west maybe Wisconsin but uh, this certainly lives could live up to the dream of Black Friday meaning you know having a trophy on the field and the winner gets it so I think uh, you know a miraculous finish by Amir Abdullah and a kind of miraculous finish with Jake Rudock has kept those dreams alive well on this week's schedule interesting one of the earliest big Big Ten games, conference games in quite a while, The uh, Penn State at Rutgers. Illinois goes to Washington. That doesn't look good. West Virginia comes into Maryland. That could be a pretty interesting game. You've got Minnesota at TCU. Ouch if you're a Gopher yeah. fan. And then of course in uh, Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, a fifth neutral site game for the Big Ten already this season. You've got Purdue looking to likely be slaughtered by Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah. You know, Purdue has a tendency to play those games a little bit. Whether it's Notre Dame overlooking them or it's their Super Bowl, you know, like uh, <laughs> I, I wrote that it isn't, but I 
Iowa State, Iowa, you know, the, Purdue has a tendency to compete. I think they've played every year since 1946, and this is the last one, and then they kind of go on a semi-regular basis. I think the Big Ten can get its rep back if they win some of those games. Washington, uh, going into the season, I thought, oh boy, this, uh, you know, name the score, and it starts with 20-plus for Washington, but they barely beat Hawaii, who's not very good. In fact, I think you and I will beat them this week, and, and West Luntz is throwing the ball all over the place. Now, I'm not sure you, Illinois has got the defense to keep up, but but I think they can compete. You know, Minnesota, the quarterback situation, but TCU's not a great team either. They're four and eight last year, and Minnesota was eight and four. You know, so they can. You know, Maryland, West Virginia, to me, is a toss up. So I, I think there's potential there for the Big Ten, and then you got Iowa State, Iowa, Purdue, and Notre Dame. If the Big Ten goes, say, what four and one out of those major conference games, I think it can kind of say, okay, well maybe the middle part of the, the league isn't so bad and you know look at you know and that and it really needs that because if it go you know let's say Iowa State upsets Iowa if Washington blows out Illinois and Maryland crushes West Virginia or I mean sorry West Virginia crushes Maryland you know it, it, then all of a sudden it, it, the league is completely written off and that that would be too bad trivial question of the week what do you think Chris Doyle thinks when he looks across the field and sees Mark Mangino <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I don't know, man. That's that's pretty rough. I I would go with the, uh, you know, hey, um, I got I got some stuff for you, you know, some muscle milk or something. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. All right. He's a disgruntled Scottish guard known for his lethal temper and his unusual eating habits. He weighs a metric ton. His name, Fat Bastard. Ball State has two timeouts to work with. Man, caught. And Pete Nunmo takes the headset off. A valiant effort today from Ball State. So close to the upset bid on the road, but the Hawkeyes come through. You got to give Iowa credit. They, they kept fighting. They kept they kept scratching, kept clawing, and got back in this game. And then those last two drives offensively, they, they looked as good as they've looked all season long. 17-13, to 13, the final. Just a reminder that you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawks. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and you can make your voice heard. Visit HawkeyesMike.com. Go to the News and Events section and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes, and you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Also, be sure to check out all of the Hawkeyes Hawkeye stories, features, and blogs in the Gazette and the Quad City Times. Our thanks again to ESPN2 for the game highlights this week, and as always, thanks to Scott Docterman. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you will participate by phoning and making your own voice heard in our shows. Call 866-74-HAWKS. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. One passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.